Okay, welcome to the Path to Zion podcast. We were having some technical difficulties. Um, I know most people are going to be watching this archived. Um, there were people waiting in line uh, for the broadcast to start. And I was having some technical issues. So thanks for uh, tuning in today. I know that you could be doing anything you want right now. If you are going to tune in and watch live, it's Sunday afternoon, 2 o'clock Eastern here in the southeastern United States. Right here, it's kind of dark and rainy. Good day for a nap. So thanks for staying awake and uh, being interested in anything I might say here. I will preface this by saying... This was a two-and-a-half-hour study that's on YouTube um, that I posted last week. I recorded, it, I recorded it in five parts last Sunday, right about now, and uh, it's very lengthy. What I decided to do, because I'm a realist, I understand that, and this is the problem, right? You have all this content, you study, you compile all of these things together, you don't want to leave anything out. You already condense it down to get to five 30-minute parts, and it's still just too much. And so, as I've done with some other things in the past that became very lengthy, I, I wanted to make an attempt to kind of grab the most important pieces and components of this study, cram it all into a shorter time, plus I added some things. Um, I've just had a lot of conversations of, of opportunity to share um, this Book of Jonah study that I've been doing with several individuals and, and just through the ongoing natural outflow of conversation, ah, this, this, this. I, I've continued to just read it because it is so short. I've just continued to go back and read it. I don't know how many times I've read these short four chapters in the Book of Jonah over the last two weeks now, um, but every time I read it, I just find something else, which is really how the Word of God is, right? I mean, uh, we won't get into all that. I'll use up a bunch of time. I do want to thank some people right out of the gate. I'm not going to name names. If you watch the video series that was broken up, I believe it was part two. I had to record um, a couple times because my equipment is so horribly outdated. Um, this webcam that we're using here, as I mentioned then, is 15 years old, I think, at least. It is HD. That's incredible. Um, maybe the first model they ever made that was HD. But in the video series, if you've watched it and if you endure it all the way to the end, God bless you. I don't know how you did it. But it zooms in and out and goes very foggy and hazy. and Oh, man. I couldn't hardly stand it myself. So I say that to say when I got the the um, part two actually recorded and saved correctly and posted, I just said, you know, if anybody wants to help us, oh man, please. I never ask for anything on here. I don't, I'm not into all that stuff, but I just said, if anybody wants to help bail us out of these technical issues because of just really junky equipment, hey, I'm open, right? Well, I had two people within 24 hours respond, one with some... Um, what it was some components, some some equipment that might help us. I've not got it yet. I'm I'm excited about seeing what it might do for us. And another individual said he's going to send us some cash to get some more stuff upgraded and just again just something that is 
more desirable to watch in the sense of it's clear, you can understand what I'm saying, and it actually maybe sounds a little bit better than this laptop microphone that I'm talking into right now. Wouldn't mind that. So thank you for anyone who has already helped us and has anywhere in their heart or mind or imagination. Maybe I'll send that guy 50 bucks, right? Hey, we're open to anything, right? We all need one another. Okay, so this is taken from the study that I did that I've already referenced that is covering the four books of Jonah. I called it Compassion in the Belly of the Fish. There are so many things that this condensed version, if you will, of that message will not get to. We won't touch it. Now listen, I'm going to try to hit the hot spots that I believe are very important. Some word study things that I did that, whoa, follow these words throughout the scriptures. Incredible things for us to understand and give ourselves to. And this is a thing that we have to be careful that we run a risk of doing at the very least. We take stories, see even that word, I try to always say accounts, records, like the book of Jonah, and automatically in our mind, if we were raised in the church, Sunday school, Bible study, children's camp, youth camp, man, let's just be honest, even the elementary teachings of sermons throughout our whole life, if you've been in the church, or even if you've not been in the church and you know the story of Jonah, I don't know how that would go today if you ask people on the street what they know about Jonah and the story of Jonah, the account of Jonah, what, who was this guy. I don't know how many people today would know what they knew back when I was a child a while ago. But nonetheless, this is a well-known account throughout Christianity. But I would say it's been portrayed like many things, like the flood. It's just, it's good for artistic um, illustrations. It's good for children's books. You've got Jonah standing in the belly of a whale, smiling and talking to the people of Nineveh. It's very cartoon-esque and very elementary at best. But when we take these, these books, these these ancient texts that have been written to people along the ages for us here and now in 2020, and we look at them through the lens of God, I want to insert myself into this text. What are you saying? What are you saying? That's all the introduction I can do about I'm just wasting time. So Compassion in the Belly of the Fish was the series. This I'm just calling, and again, I'm not making it something it's not. I am fully convinced that this is a biblical pattern warning to the church of 2020. Not just 2020, but this church age. I'm just telling you, I am, I am so convinced that this is something the church of right now, the global church, I don't care what denomination, what belief system, all these different things, if you believe in Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus being the very Son of God, Emmanuel, reality that came to earth, and, and all these things we don't have time to get into. And if your life has gone into Him and you've lost your life for His sake and therefore you've found it and you've been moved from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light and you are now an ambassador of a kingdom yet unseen that you are trying to be one who lives on earth as it is in heaven for a purpose, carrying the eternal, perpetual seed of the kingdom of God 
In this flesh and blood body now is a tabernacle and sanctuary of Yahweh God Elohim. You, my friend, need to hear what the book of Jonah is saying. I'm saying that very, very clearly. This is not for the world. This is not for your vile neighbor. This isn't for the heathen that's next door, okay? This is for the church. This is for the corporate global church. Very precise, right? This is a hard word. I'm just going to say right now, don't be surprised. This is very, very hard. It's hard here. It's hard on y'all. It's hard on every one of us should we give ourselves to be mature and maturing sons who are ready to receive correction. I need correction. Just like my almost nine-year-old son needs correction. I am a son and my father corrects me because I am a son. The church needs correction. The church needs a heavy-handed correction from the Father to bring us into truth, movement, function, and demonstration of one thing that we're going to get to in this that is the, the crux of all of this, which is what? Demonstrating and giving out the compassion of God. The compassion of the Father. The compassion of God needs poured out onto this earth right now in this age. Absolute must. Has to. Well, where is it going to come, friend? It's not coming from humanitarian efforts who just go and distribute food from a hollow place of mere humanity and, and just like carnality and flesh-driven good works. We're talking about righteous deeds. We're talking about spirit-led men being moved about by the Spirit of God, hearing the oracles of God, and therefore then speaking them to anyone who has an ear. Anyone who has an ear. There's a pattern of the church, a pattern of God, and the church should get on board with this. This is what I'm going to present. I'm going to have to read a lot of notes or I'm going to get here and I'm going to get here and this is going to be another five hours. I'm not going to do that. Again, we're going to stick to the primary components of this text. Matthew chapter 5, For he makes his sun shine on good and bad people alike and he sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous alike. We have the parables of the laborers in the field. Again, I'm just going to stay right up here. We're going to have to just keep cruising right on the surface today. If you want the heavy, deeper issues, give yourself to watch the entire five-hour teaching posted last week. It's all there. The prodigal son. He doesn't desire for his son to return to shame. He goes out to meet him. He takes him in, shows him compassion. We're going to get more to that in just a little bit. Parables of the laborers in the field. We're not talking about compassion specifically, but we're talking about the master doing what he wills. It's up to the master now. The laborers in the field, you show up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I show up at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We both clock out at 6 in the evening and get paid the same. I look at the master and I have the audacity to say, Hey, you look at the master. Let's get this right. You look at the master and you say, I should have flipped that so you're not offended. We'll make it me or you or it doesn't really matter. The one who got there early in the morning gets paid the same as the one who got there in the evening. Well, that's not fair. So the one in the evening says, thank you, master, goes about his way. 
whoever, I'll say me, I get there at four in the morning, Master, I've been working all day. I've been here 14 hours. You paid that guy the same that you paid me. You do realize he just got here, right? You do realize he just got here. Do you see me sweating? I've been here all day, Master. And you know what the Master says in the parable and great summary, of course? Hey, it's not up to you, friend. Did you get paid what I told you I would pay you? Yes. Then you need to go home, son. You're welcome, right? It's up to the master. It's up to the king of all kings to execute whatever he desires to on this earth in his way, in his increment, upon whomever he wants. It is up to him entirely. Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. And we're going to jump around and then we're going to kind of smooth this back out. We are told a, a very unique phrase. I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay for salvation is from the Lord. Now this is Jonah. This is a little tiny snapshot into a life of a miserable man and in the little bit of his life that we're told here. A miserable man downcast, frustrated, angry, fascinated with God's justice coming to an evil, vile people. Very angry. But he has a moment that we will explain just very incrementally here. Salvation belongs to Jehovah. This is really, I would say, the biggest revelation Jonah has throughout these four chapters. Really the only revelation primarily. Oh my gosh, salvation belongs to Jehovah. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's not up to any other person, being, principality, power, king or kingdom. It's up to Jehovah. It belongs to him. Salvation is his. The church right now, I would say, to make this completely connected, of course, as we go along, I'll have to keep bouncing back to this to understand why we're even here. The church, I would say, from my vantage point, is exhausting every possible avenue of declaring how lawless this generation right outside your window is right now. In your city, in your county, in your area of wherever you live, anywhere on this world. She, the church, delights in all of the scriptural accounts, which there are many, endless ones, of God's judgment coming to man. We know all of the scriptural accounts that we do not discard in any way. When Yahweh God comes down in his righteous, holy, perfect condition, he assesses mankind, and however it plays out, it's different in many ways, orchestrates usually a people to, to lay out those evil men. According, now this is where you got to be so precise, right? According to his word, according to what he says that was often nine times out of ten, if not more, we could probably get into percentages towards ten, not according to the strength, ability, or wisdom of any man. Often, the lesser overcame the enormous, even numerically large people that were evil and opposers of God. It made no sense. We could go through, man, we could spend hours, could we not, talking about the ridiculous outnumbered reality of how God used men to overthrow the enemy. 
And so it's not according to our own prowess, our own strength, our own abilities, or our own intellect at all. It's unrelated. It's only the Lord's doing, as he says, according to his word. But, just like the story with Sodom and Gomorrah, I think the church finds some weird delight, like Jonah, in saying, Get them, God. Those vile heathens, yep, they need your wrath. They need judgment. Now, and we sit back and we overlook our own condition, church, our own depravity, our own sin, our own idolatry, and we miss the entire point, which is absolutely first and foremost, looking inward, looking inward, individual and corporate, inward reality, what is our condition, O oh God? Do we have clean hands? Do we have a pure heart? Do we have a posture of life that is truly holy, set apart, consecrated, and can even rightly hear and discern what the word of the Lord is and what's mere opinion being fed to me from any other outside source, including myself? I see a lot of the church just like Jonah. We know the account of Jonah just enough that I can already say that. But we're going to add some very clear attributes that I believe make this as clear as possible, okay? So let's just start with Jonah is, of course, we know, instant rebellion. Where the Lord comes, what's he say? Yahweh God, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. Their wickedness has come up before me. Yahweh God is well aware, friend, of the wickedness of mankind. He is well aware of the wickedness of this age, of this hour, of the lawless ones on the earth. It has made its way up to his holy throne. He doesn't need us to tell him something he's fully aware of. Like these people of Nineveh, it had come up. Their wickedness had come up to him. He had been made aware of their condition. But Jonah, already straight out of verse 3, he's out. No, not going he flees from the presence of the Lord. I don't have time to get all into all of the significance of these things. Go to the larger teaching. I'm going to keep saying that. But Jonah, he's out. We know what happens. He says, I'm out of here. I'm going to Tarshish. He gets on a boat. He is in the boat asleep. He is checked out. There are men, sailors, pagan idolatrous men above him in the boat, in the middle of this sea, the sea is raging. Everything is a mess, a disaster. Prophet of God, Jonah. Hmm. Where's that dude that got on at the last minute? He was all, he looked real nervous. Where did he go? Man, he's down below deck. He's asleep. He's out of it. He's not even a part of anything that's going on. I don't even think he knows we're up here going through this. So what happens? Somebody says, well, you better go get him. Well, why? Because the pagan idolatrous men are up on top of the boat. And what are they doing? They are beseeching their gods. They're talking to their gods. And the only way, and they're, you know, we don't have time to go into little E Elohim. It wasn't just all their imagination, right? They had, I can't get into all of that. So they are seeking their other gods for an answer to what in the world is going on. Why are we in this condition? They're crying out to their gods. Somebody, one of the pagan idolatrous sailors, goes and wakes up the prophet of God and says, Listen, man, we're all up here near death. 
about to die because of the raging sea, crying out to our gods, look, man, I don't know who your God is, but you better get up and start calling on his name because we're going down. Do you see the irony of this? The prophet of the Lord is fast asleep and the pagans wake him up to say, you need to pray to your God like we are already doing to ours. Jonah confesses, look, man, I'm a Hebrew. I serve Yahweh Elohim, the God of all gods, man. They say, we are doomed. Paraphrased. We are in great trouble. Holy cow. His God's the God of all gods, y'all. What are we going to do? Man, this is... Church, listen to this text. And don't, in any way, I want to challenge you. Please don't be like, I already know this story, Joel. I've read the children's book 47 times to my son. Please listen to what I'm saying about right now and insert ourselves into this account for right here, right now. Okay? Please give yourself to that. They cry out. Jonah does not. Okay. There is this moment of exchange. We know pitiful Jonah. He, is, he doesn't even want to kill himself. Now, he desires death. Every other verse, he's wishing he was dead. But he wants to put it on them to throw him overboard, not himself. He won't even take on that responsibility. He desires death. But he says, hey, y'all, y'all throw me over, right? It's, this story is, is like amazing, right? This account is just so crazy. So, basically, they throw him over. We know the account. He goes over. I am convinced, as I said in the long version of this, I believe he deceased. I believe he died. I believe he was at the bottom of the sea. The Lord God in his incredible, immeasurable mercy sent the great fish to pick him up in his mouth, swallow him, carry him around for three days, three nights, like Yeshua talks about, just like Jonah in the belly of the fish. I think it was God's provision. I think it was God's compassion, which is why I titled the, the previous series Compassion in the belly of the fish because God in his abundant mercy pours out his compassion upon Jonah. Incredible. Moving on. So this is what's interesting to me, right? And please pay attention. I, I can't leave all these things out. In chapter 1, verse 16, let's look at it real quick. Then the men, the, the sailors, after Jonah's thrown overboard, Jonah's going down, He's descending to the bottom of the sea. These pagan idolatrous men feared Yahweh. They feared Yahweh. Moments ago, moments ago, crying out to their little E Elohim gods, their false gods, pagan idolatrous. Okay, okay? moments before, throw Jonah overboard. Something's going on on this boat. The sea stops, goes silent. Y'all imagine this, okay? The, the, the overreaching demonstration of Yahweh God is clear in this moment. Yahweh is to be feared. So what do they do? The very next verse, they feared Yahweh greatly. And what in the world did they do? Again, as the prophet in his rebellion is descending to the bottom of the sea, the pagan idolaters turn to Yahweh and they offer sacrifices and make vows to Yahweh God. 
Incredible. The next verse, Yahweh sends the great fish to, to consume Jonah and preserve his life. So do you get, I want you to just get the irony of who is hearing the word of the Lord. Who is hearing and seeing and experiencing the demonstration of Yahweh God on this boat and who is not? The pagan idolatrous men have more discernment and recognition of the power of Almighty God, Yahweh Elohim, than the man of God, the prophet. Why? He fled from the presence of the Lord. He was in the literal process of fleeing from the presence of the Lord, hiding himself, just like they did in the garden. Why? Sin, shame, rebellion, pride, stiff-neckedness, hard-hearted, turning away from the presence of the Lord. He's going down, descending, I believe again, to death. The idolaters fear the Lord. Turn, make sacrifice, make a vow. Delivered. Incredible. Okay? Jonah, we got to skip over all this type of stuff. Post belly of the fish, we get into Jonah, all these things. Belly of the fish, he descends down to Sheol, Tartarus, depending on what you want to, what words you want to call things. Comes out, he's spit out. Man, I don't even have time to get into all that stuff just about. Um, fish gods and all the things of, of that region during that time frame of why Jonah would have had their attention, I literally don't have time. Uh, so many intricacies within this account if we give ourselves to study. So Jonah, again, the Lord comes to him and says, here, we are, here I am again. Again, same story, same word of the Lord. Arise, go to Nineveh, tell them what? Tell them in 40 days, Nineveh, will be overthrown. Okay, Jonah we know, he wants justice. He wants God's wrath. He wants judgment to come to the people of Nineveh because they're deserving. He's not. He's fine. Oblivious to his own rebellion, oblivious entirely to his own heart's condition, wants judgment to come to these, these people of Nineveh. Now, we have to just say, well, why would he want that? Nineveh was horrible. Nineveh was horrible. All of that area of Syria at that time frame, horrible. <laughs> As I said in the, in the, I believe it was part two or maybe part one when we were talking about the background of Nineveh specifically, horrible people. Any way you slice it, bad. The things they would do through areas that they would come through are, are despicable things, vile things, evil. I mean dark. No way around that. Violent people. So Jonah assessed them naturally. If anybody needs eradicated, Nineveh, I'm not going. God, you must have made a mistake. I'm not going to those people. They don't deserve anything, is what he was saying. This word overthrown is hafak. It's generally used to mean changed or turned. We know later in the text, Jonah's basically referencing, I knew this would happen when they do turn. I knew you would do this. This is why I ran from you. <laughs> so he, I have, to, I have to believe, he understood the overthrown meant they're going to change. They're going to be changed. He didn't like it. And let's just be honest. He didn't want them changed. 
He didn't want them to turn. He didn't want them to know his God. Let's be honest, he did not want that. So when Jonah finally goes and barely does what he's instructed to these awful lawless people, what happens? They turn. (laughs) It's incredible. I'm just going to paraphrase some things. Then, as soon as the word of the Lord comes to the people of Nineveh, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And then, they didn't just believe, they believed, and then they called a fast. And then, they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. They even put on the animals, the livestock. Clear point. This people, oh yeah, they're turning. They're overthrown, all right. They're upheaving everything they know to turn towards Yahweh. The king hears, hey, he makes a decree to the entire group of people. We're told numbers, it's a ton of, it's thousands of people, okay? Thousands. Men, women, children. Everybody, sackcloth, ashes, repentance, cry out to Yahweh Elohim. Maybe he will relent. Maybe he will turn his hand of wrath away from us and preserve us and allow us to live. Maybe, just maybe if we turn. They were overthrown, just like Jonah feared. And this word believed, I really want to hang up on this for just a mere moment. This word believed because, you know, we've made belief this little, this is a magic wand. Here, blood of Jesus. New heart. Well, not even new heart. We don't even teach that for the most part as the global church. You just ask Jesus into your vile heart of stone. He knocks. Can I come in there? He comes in and makes his abode. Listen, friends, in case one person watches this that believes this doctrine, he cannot inhabit your heart. That heart of stone has got to come out. Like it says in Ezekiel, you need a heart exchange. That one's got to come out. The one that's in the first yeah, the first Adam bloodline of sin, rebellion, and shame and depravity has got to come out. God puts a new heart of you uh, into you, a heart of flesh into you where he can properly set up his abode. You've got to have the exchange or else you're asking Jesus to come. You're, you're giving him an invitation to a house he cannot indwell, right? We have to know these things. These are important, important doctrinal matters, okay? Excuse me, okay? So even that we've got to understand. But this word believe, it's more than just like, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Yeah, I do. Okay, amen. Hey, put him in the bulletin. We're not talking about that. This belief, when you start looking at belief, I can't remember what it is in the Hebrew. Oh, yes, I do. Oh, man. Because I was making a joke. Remember, like, oh, man. (laughs) Oh, man, I believe. Believe. Okay, now, oh, okay. How important is believe? How valuable is belief? Do we need to exalt our understanding of belief a little bit higher? Yes. Why? Because when you go all the way back to Genesis, there was a certain man named Abram. He believed. He, a man, one true God. And it was counted to him as righteousness, y'all. Do you, just like pause, okay? These people... These heathen, vile, murderous, violent, reprobate people heard one single word of the Lord from a rebellious man of God, believed in the same manner 
that Abram believed. Chew on that, church. Chew on that. I'll insert this to keep bringing us back in. Why? This culture, conservative culture, conservative right-wing media is telling you your vile neighbor that does this, does this, does that is a loser. He has no hope. He's your enemy. He has no job. He has no all these things I'm not even going to mention. It's too valuable of time here. He's not worth anything. He's no good. I was listening to a podcast at work on Thursday, and when that one finished, somehow it jumped to a, 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 a Tucker Carlson, some young guy, giving a commentary on this hour, and it was just a day or two old. And y'all, I'm telling you, like, if people I know are listening to what that man's saying and putting that in there, and yep, that's true. Friends, I'm telling you, because this is conservative Christian thinking, this guy was Jonah and then some. I mean, he was he was calling them complete idiots. Like, I don't even remember all his verbiage, but he was like as strong as you could verbalize, talking about how horribly worthless and these people, they don't even deserve to be in America. They don't deserve anything. Nothing but losers with no hope, a waste of human space. I literally, about a minute in, I'm like, I can't even listen to this to like be engaged in what the conservative mindset is saying. I couldn't even do it. It made me feel sick. This is, this is what people are saying? Oh my, friend, please be careful what you're listening to because... This is Jonah-esque talking. This is the, the, the pride and arrogance of man saying you are vile. God hates you and God hates you and God hates you. I'm cool. I'm good. I'm a good Christian American. I'm on his side. Well, more importantly, let's just be honest. He's on mine. Let's be careful. Two things within this specifically I would just want to touch on real quick and we'll keep moving. The result that God desires is not entirely dependent upon us when we bring the word of the Lord. This is good for us from another perspective. Jonah was obviously an incredibly flawed vessel. Incredibly flawed. No way around that. But God's word is God's word, period. He speaks and any man hears it rightly, discerns it, and speaks it any way right... It accomplishes what it was set forth to do, period. There's hope for all of us in that, in that way. Number two, those who will receive the word of the Lord, like the people in Nineveh, even like the men in the boat, which was not a spoken word, but it was a, a living demonstration of Yahweh God in a circumstance. Same type of thing. God revealing himself to man. God is rich in mercy. He's full of grace. He's full of compassion. His word's always going forth, what? Repentance, repentance, repentance. I want to, biblically speaking, overthrow you. Not overthrow you with a rod of fury. Overthrow you to bring you in, to give you opportunity to know me as a father. To know me in compassion. Compassion, compassion. Okay, so we're going to move into all this stuff. This stuff is a... We're taking it down a couple floors here. This is a little bit... You're going to put on your thinking caps for this stuff. Let me take a drink and get ready. All right, we're 35 minutes in. 
Oh man, we gotta move. Can you keep up with fast talking? I hope so. Okay, so all these things are going on that we can't even get to all these things. Jonah, he pulls up a chair. And he says, you know what? I'm in the hot sun here. I'm baking in the sun. I would like to sit here and watch what happens to the people of Nineveh because I'm so stoked about the Father's judgment coming to slay them all. It's what he's doing. But I'm in the sun, so what's he do? He builds a shelter. He he how he does it, we don't know, but he erects a shelter, a booth, a sukkah. Related to same sukkah as in Sukkot, feast of booths, dwellings, shelters. So Jonah, by his own hands, he builds a sukkah. He sits underneath it and he's in the shade. I'm reading the text. And then I read, of course, we know the story, the account of this and how it happened in this, this little snippet of this account. Yahweh God causes a, a plant to grow up over Jonah, a supernatural plant in the sense of it grows in mere hours. A lot of studies have it as a, um, a gourd plant. There's probably some significance. I don't know what it is. Look into it if you'd like. Whatever the case, this plant is caused by God. It says God appointed a plant, just like he appointed the fish. He appointed the plant to come and grow up over Jonah to give him shade. And my question was, I'm reading the text and I'm just communing with the Father. I said, God, why did you send the plant to Jonah to provide him shade when he's already in the shade? That makes no sense. Bing! Thinking, thinking. His shade was insufficient. The shade provided by the work of his own hands and the building of this sukkah shelter could not provide him sufficient shade. It could not give him what he needed. It couldn't provide what he needed. God sends him what he needs. Ironically enough, when the plant grows over Jonah and gives him shade, in that one moment alone, the, the, the scripture tells us, depending on what version you use, he was happy. Jonah the most miserable prophet to probably ever exist on the earth was happy only when the shade of the Almighty was over him. I just want to touch on it. We'll just throw it in there because we don't have time for all these things. The shade is the same shade throughout the scriptures of the shadow under the wing of the Almighty. The shadow of the Almighty under the shadow. All these things we see, the pattern we see throughout the Word of God about the shadow, same shadow, from the plant that God ordained, appointed to grow over Jonah and bring him what we'll get to. It's not enough of his own building, his own shade. So we know, though, the next morning something happens. The plant is still there that God caused to grow over Jonah's head and bring him shade. A worm comes on the scene. A worm is also, just like the fish, just like the plant, a worm is appointed by God. Yahweh appoints a worm. Now, what is the significance of this worm? Nothing, right? It's just some caterpillar bug climbing on a plant and eating it up and it's gone. Big deal, Joel. Listen, this worm is a tolah. It's a Hebrew word, tolah. And it's not just any worm. Of course, God, everything he does in the scriptures has a reason and a point. It's a scarlet worm. It's a crimson worm. 
It is a worm that that same word tolah pops up throughout the scriptures. It's in a prophecy that's spoken preceding Yeshua Messiah that Yeshua himself quotes. One time he says what? I am but a worm. I'm not a mere man. I'm a worm. I am, Yeshua said, I am a tolah. Why is he a tolah? He's at the end of his life. He's bearing your sin. He's bearing my sin, my scarlet, red, crimson sin. Well, how do we know for sure, Joel? That sounds like a stretch. Okay, here's this one. Though your sins be red like tolah. Isaiah chapter 1, 18. Though your sins be red like tolah, they shall be, li- they shall be white like wool. Okay? So we have to take these words and follow their patterns throughout all of the text. And so it's not just any, any worm. It's not happenstance. It's appointed. It's appointed. The tolah, the crimson scarlet worm that I believe represents sin, comes and the word, the verbiage is devours what? The shadow of the Almighty. Friend, the church, listen church, please. Your sin... Your tolah is devouring the shade, protection, provision of the Almighty that alone will bring you deliverance. Protection, provision. It's a facade. If we're sitting there in our own sukkah that we have built with our own hands and we think we're fine. And what are we doing in this text? It shows what? It shows a man of God sitting in his own shelter that he built with his own hands waiting for the destruction, justice, and judgment to come to the vile, evil people. Hoping, hoping that God's judgment's coming to some of them. He already saw them begin to repent. I guess he was so off that he was still hoping that these people would get the the heavy hand of God in judgment. So he's sitting there in his pride and his arrogance, and I believe God made it clear through these little examples, Jonah... Your sin, pride, arrogance, rebellion is devouring the only one true thing that brings you deliverance, safety, and shelter. Because when you look at some versions, mine included, which is horrible, says that it brought, it relieved Jonah's discomfort. It didn't just make him feel better, and this is very important. It said his evil wickedness. It removed his evil wickedness, okay? This, this, I don't have time to go into all that. But this shade, this shadow, relieved him of his own wicked ways. He found peace there. Brief and momentary as it was, he found something of rest in that brief little moment of the shade and shadow of the Almighty. That's very important, friend. As he's sitting there in judgment and pride and arrogance towards the lawless ones, God in his incredible mercy is showing Jonah a little snapshot of, Son, do you see what I'm saying? And then, so Jonah goes on to complain, and what does Yahweh God say? To jump, to jump right off of what we just said. You are complaining about a worm eating a plant, but you don't care anything about those thousands of people down there. Jonah, you have a problem, prophet. You have a problem. Jonah doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. Why have you forsaken me? I am but a tolah, is what Yeshua said. 
as he took on the sin and shame of all of mankind. Our sin ruins, devours the safety and deliverance of the Father. I like that. That speaks to me. That stirs me. Yahweh asked Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry, Jonah? And that verbiage, when you look at the original text, is this pleasing to you to be angry? And I just want to insert this because I believe this is, this is a component. Because again, why am I teaching on Jonah in all four chapters right now saying this, this account and this era then that we live in now, primarily here, I'm talking to majority Christian America. I know that's most of my audience. I know that. Friends, we have to be, we have to give ourselves to like, is this us? Is this the church? Is this the posture of Christian America? I say unequivocally, yes. Yes. Yes again. I would believe Yahweh God is saying, hey, Christian America, hey, conservative Christian America, do you have good reason to be angry? Do you have good reason to be set up in a chair under a shade by your own hands, your own building, and I'm giving you mercy, and I'm giving you compassion, and I'm pouring out my word to you again and again? Listen, Jonah, listen, Jonah, listen, church, listen, church. I desire none to perish. I'm full of compassion. I'm full of mercy. I want these people to turn. I believe he's saying what this text said in the Hebrew, which is, is this pleasing to you to be furiously kindled with vexation? <coughs> That's the verbiage in the Hebrew. Good reason to be angry? Okay, I think I get the point. But when you start doing word studies and you expand the understanding of what this is saying, do you know, is it desirable to you to be furiously kindled with vexation, church? I would say right now, for the, mo for the most part, yes. The church seems to take this weird delight in pointing at the evildoers. I think it exalts us just like Jonah. We feel good. Basking in the shade of the Father and all of His mercy that's poured out on us without measure while we say, get him, God. Get the bad guy. I'm going to sit here and watch and take a little bit of pleasure in it. Friends, please listen to what I'm saying. This is a warning to the church of this hour. Absolutely hands down. What of this generation we now live in? What of their rebellion, their idolatrous ways, if we can take our eyes off of our own for just a moment to talk in full context? Because we could talk all day about our own. Are they too far? Are they too far? Christian America, church of right now, of 2020, the end of June, are the people that you see on your news and on your, on your Facebook feeds and however else you gather what's going on in current events, are these people that you are being programmed, everybody wants to talk about programming and brainwashing, well, if you get a vaccine, you're brainwashed. And if you wear a mask, you're brainwashed. I know the truth and I'm free. Friends, I'm telling you, no, we're not. No, we are not. No, we're not. Church, are you really that arrogant to think that you are free from deception? No, we have to be careful. <clears throat> That's why I'm saying all the time, 
I want my source to be this. I want my information to be the spirit of the living God. And, oh, spirit, what are you saying in this hour? What is the spirit saying in this hour? Discernment, discernment. God, give me discernment. Give me something beyond what my eyes see and what my natural ears hear to know what the spirit is saying to the earth in this hour. Beginning right here in my house with my family right here in me. Because, Lord, I know I'm deceived. And I know everybody around me is trying to sway me to get into the sea of deception. Conservative deception. Left deception. Democratic deception. Black Lives Matter deception. Prophetic movement deception. Denominational deception. Friend, listen. If it's something that wants to get you pigeonholed into some tiny little movement or fellowship, or way of thinking that has no room for anyone else in any possible way, friend, you better run. You better run. Because, yes, he's holy. Yes, he's righteous. Yes, there is a narrow remnant way reality that absolutely, yes and amen, I want to be in. But friends, we will not solely go us and God and no one else. It's not that way. God desires none to perish. He desires for us to proclaim a word that overthrows people, that overthrows people to turn, to change, to repent and say, maybe, maybe God will relent. Maybe. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to make vows. We're going to believe. Maybe he will turn. And guess what? He does. He does. He does. He does. Time and time again. Is he judge? Is he righteous? Is Yeshua coming? And man, there's going to be blood up to the bridle. Yes and amen. This is no soft pansy hippie Jesus message at all. This is a reality of the church age that we live in, friend. We're in an age of mercy. We're in an age of compassion. And guess what? It is going and going and going in. And it will not be here forever. It will not be forever. We need to learn. From the people of Nineveh and what they did when the word of the Lord came. We need to learn from the prophet of God who was hard-hearted and stubborn, rebellious, and continued to flee from the presence of the Lord. Yahweh desires to show people compassion. Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. Yeshua briefly mentions he's he's being demanded upon, it's being demanded upon him again by the the pharisaical minds of his age give us a sign again jesus of nazareth show us something else would you win us over by your signs and wonders he said you perverse generation it's going to be worse for y'all than the people of nineveh which is another thing we see in scripture later it's going to be worse for you church in many ways than it was for the people of sodom and gomorrah oh we don't want to talk about that do we church we have to talk about these things. To be specific, Yeshua says the people of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and then they'll condemn it. Why? The people of Nineveh turned from their sins to God when Jonah preached. But guess what? Someone greater than Jonah is here right now, friends. Me, the Son of God. I'm here right now in front of you and you don't even believe. So we got to be careful. We've got to be careful. 
Are we any way, in any way, church? I'm just saying, I'm just, man, I'm just presenting this to you and saying, have you thought about this? Do you ask yourself, God, examine every molecule of my being. I will not be like Jonah. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to buy all the lies broadcast to me. I'm not going to eat them up and pick a side, say, vile, 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 vile. No. Compassion, compassion, mercy, mercy, mercy. Pour out your mercy, O oh great God. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love. You're righteous. You're a judge. You're holy. You're perfect in every way, but God, that's why you show mercy. These people in Nineveh, a horrible history. They had no discernment. The, the book of Jonah wraps up in verse 11. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? This is Yahweh God speaking. The great city which there's more than 120,000 persons? Many commentaries say it may have been twice that. They don't know the difference between their right hand and their left, Jonah. Oh my gosh. Listen to this and plug right now into that saying from Yahweh God. Because of their ignorance, because of their depravity, because of their condition, because they don't even know their right hand from their left, that is why I will show them mercy. So all the prerequisites that, that much of this Christian conservative culture stacks up, all of the attributes of the losers that are out here in the world right now that are, by the way, products of Christian America upbringing, they're the offspring of the adults who now loathe them. These ones, the same criteria that, that deems them needing judgment and judgment and justice and wrath, God says... Same attributes, same condition. That's why I want to show them mercy. That is why I have compassion on them. Same reasons. Same reasons you would say deserve God's judgment. Get them. Get them, God. Here are their attributes. Lawless, idolatrous, violent men who want to destroy America. Get them. And God says, guess what? I already know all those things because just like Jonah chapter 1, their wickedness has come up before me, church. You're not informing me of anything I don't know. Hey, church, can we quit talking about how vile everybody is? We know. Got it. Because of that, Yahweh says, yeah, because of their condition, I want to be compassionate. I want to pour out compassion. Let's just admit it. Maybe we've not known God. Maybe we've not known Him. I've got to, man, I've got to burn through these. Holy cow, I've got to burn through these. We're not above correction, friend. We, church, you're not above His correction. Here. Maybe God will turn and relent and withdraw His burning anger so that we will not perish. What about us? Do we say that? Do we pray that or are we good now? Are we above it? Do we, you know, we don't really need compassion anymore. Me and God, we're bros. We're good. We're close, right? We have to be careful. Do we want God's mercy as much as we want justice and judgment? 
for this lawless generation. Do we want them to repent? I mean, really. Like, ask yourself, really. Do you really want the people that you're told are vile opposers of God to turn to Him, repent, and fall in love with the Creator? Do you pray that? Do you intercede for them? Do you fast and pray that people out there on the street that are protesting in anger, do you look at them and say, God, you said the people of Nineveh don't even know their right hand from their left, and because of that you want to show compassion. So God, I choose to side with your compassion. I choose to side with your mercy because I know you said you desire none to perish. I'm going to be like you. We must cry out for his mercy. Matthew chapter 18, so out of pity, the master let him go and forgave the debt. Well, what's this story? I have to just go right through it. The, the debt that was owed, that was forgiven, the man grovels, oh, please forgive me. His huge debt was forgiven. And then a teeny debt was owed to him, and he brought judgment and wrath, condemnation, upon the man who owned him a tiny, tiny increment right after he had all of his debt graciously in compassion removed from the master. Same, same biblical pattern. The forgiven debt, this pity that was shown to that man that he did not show to others was compassion. It's the same word throughout the text, compassion, pity. It's the same in the Old Testament. So church, where is our compassion? Woman at the well? Multitudes? All the time Yeshua was saying, move by compassion. And Yeshua looked upon the crowds and what? He had compassion. We have been shown mercy. We have been extended the mercy of God. And we're now obligated to extend the same mercy and the same increment that we have in fact received. And my question, I say to the church with great regularity, with great concern, is church, have you ever really known the forgiveness and mercy of God? Because we know all the biblical understanding about a first love reality, moving out of the place where you first received the mercy of God, and that fuels you to pour out mercy and love and compassion. Why? Because you walk in a constant recognition of what you yourself received, the gift of God. Undeserved. And so it's easy to extend a gift to someone when you know yourself you never earned it. This is a gift from God. I was a sinful, depraved, wretched man who opposed him. He showed me compassion, friend. Let me tell you about him. Instead, the church says, I'm sitting in my sukkah, in my chair, under the shade shelter of the Most High God, saying, you deserve death. You deserve to get out of America. We hate you here. You're of no use. Get him, God. I'm telling you, I know I keep doing that, but that is the posture of a lot of the church in this hour. We need to make sure it's not in us. All right, so this is, this is some stuff I did not touch on. We're almost at a close here. I didn't touch on this at all in the five-part series that is a, the expanded version of what I just went over. Now, please stay with me. This will probably take 10 or 15 more minutes, and that will be it. 
And this is what's come about as I've just thought about it in prayer, in meditation of my heart, about my own condition, about examining myself for any ways in me that looks at any other people, any other people, and lessens their value and wants evil for them in any way, wants God to get them, get them, get them in any way in me. And these things are in me. We all have to face the reality. We are being sanctified. So here's the challenge of the last point I'm going to make. And again, 15 minutes will be done. There are consequences. Church, listen to what I'm going to say. There are consequences beyond us that our disobedience brings about. Chew on that. We hear a lot about individual responsibility, and yes and amen, we need to. Your sin affects you, puts you in in bad standing with God. Rebellion, just like Jonah, hard-hearted. What'd he do? He removed himself from what? The presence of the Lord. He hid himself, again, as we already talked about, Adam and Eve in the garden, Sin, shame comes. We remove ourselves voluntarily from the presence of the Lord. Individual is very important. Yes, of course. But in light of this text specifically, as we look through Jonah and just think about what these four chapters tell us, I want to challenge to you, church, global church, please listen the next 15 minutes. We see why the breaking of fellowship with God affects much more than just us individually. Our actions and pride and arrogance directly affects others who don't know God. Did you hear what I'm saying? How we, how we respond to the word of the Lord coming to us and whether we stay in his presence and seek his face and in humility lower ourselves to be a humble servant of the Most High King this, our response, affects other people who do not yet know him. Church, please listen to me. I wish there was some way I could supernaturally sit in every sanctuary in America right now and preach to a congregation these next few minutes. I believe it's that important. The lost, the pagan, the idolatrous, the evil, the wicked, the violent, the godless, the hopeless ones very well might be in rebellion, ignorance, and even punishment from Yahweh God unto death because of us. Did you hear what I'm saying? Think of Jonah. Think of all these other scriptural accounts as well. Let's just be honest. There is no way around. There is no way around the fact that these people, real people, in Jonah's day, in his life that God was sending him to, were in their con- they were in that moment, not their overall condition, but they were in that calamity, like the sailors specifically. They were in that circumstance. Why? Because of the man of God's rebellion. Because of the man of God's rebellion, these other men almost died. Now it became their deliverance. Yahweh God brought them rescue. He brought them He brought them new life through the circumstance. But we have to step back a little bit and realize the the scripture is very clear. Where is it? I've got it written down here. This Asaw. Asaw in the Hebrew. 
Why were these men, these sailors, on the brink of death on this boat? Why was the sea raging? What was the cause? In Jonah chapter 1, verse 10, we're told clearly, word for word, they say to Jonah, the prophet, man of God, how could you do this? Which means, Asaw, you are the maker, you are the cause, you furnished this circumstance. You prepared this circumstance for us. The entire calamity that fell upon these men in this boat was the fault of the man of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? These pagan, idolatrous men who turned to Yahweh God after Jonah was thrown over, they almost died because of Jonah's rebellion, because of Jonah's disinterest in declaring a word of the Lord of compassion and mercy. We have to think about these things. Just to be clear, what I'm asking, just to be completely blunt, what of this age, what of this generation in 2020, what of all this ridiculous chaos that conservative Christian America wants to blast with, with just unending rhetoric about how horrible everybody is, I'm saying, church, what if it's because of us? What if it's because of us? What if it's because we've not been crying out for mercy and compassion to come to humanity, to America? Not just people to quit aborting babies. Not for Democrats to quit voting. You know what? We're so, we operate so juvenile and all this news and media just spoon feeds all the people this juvenile, infantile thinking that's so natural and carnal and the church gobbles it up and stays right down here with limited, natural, carnal intellect and vantage point. We've got to shake it off. We've got to shake it off. How could you do this is what the sailors said. Jonah, the godly man, was the cause of the calamity in the boat. What about the people of Nineveh? They were waiting, in a sense, whether they knew it or not, they were positioned in the timeline of God to wait upon the word of the Lord to come to say, Nineveh, your wickedness has come up to me. This calamity is coming. You're about to be overthrown. They were waiting on the godly man the prophet, to come to give them a word that would set them free. The men in the boat were doing all they knew to do, crying out to their gods. Friend, I'm saying, people right now, humanity, same thing. Same thing. Now, it may look like a way that makes you so angry, and this is where limited natural perspective is so dangerous. If you only see just angry people operating in a spirit of darkness, deceived by principalities and powers and just emotional and stirred, friend, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble if that's how you operate. Only by thinking according to culture and just looking at how people act instead of the heart and the, the, the whole undergirding strength underneath it, empowering them to act the way they do. They don't know their right hand from their left. 
Why would they not act this way? But we possess freedom if we are in Yeshua Messiah. We possess the key to unlock the bondage of humanity. The compassion of God. These people in Nineveh were waiting on the word of the Lord to come. I would say in this text specifically, there are millions of people on this earth right now who don't know their right hand from their left. They just don't. They don't. Yes, they're idolatrous. Yes, they're, they're, they're opposers of God. Of course they are. <laughs> Weren't you that one at one time? Was that ever you, church? Have you forgotten? Have we forgotten our, our pre-salvation condition? The people of Nineveh were waiting, even if unbeknownst to them, for the word of the Lord to come to set them free. So what I would say, to bring this in closing, using Jonah, the book of Jonah, is it possible that the people on this earth right now that don't know their right hand from their left are suffering in disobedience while God's messengers, us, church, are sitting in our chairs, puffed up with pride and arrogance under God's shadow and mercy, hoping that they get judgment, wrath, and justice that they deserve, all the while holding the only key to their hope and deliverance? May that not be us, church. Again, the sailors saw the demonstration of Yahweh God, the calming of the seas. They called upon the name of the Lord. They offered sacrifices. They made vows. When the word of the Lord comes to the people of Nineveh, finally, they believed. Amen. Just like Abram. Just like Abraham believed. Who is too far? In absolute closing, church, who is too far? Who? Who's too far from the awesome compassion and redemption of the Father? Who's too much, too evil for you to intercede for, pray for, plead with God, please God, show mercy, show compassion. And when you see an individual, whether it's on your news, Lord help you if you're watching that stuff, or whether it's when you're driving down the street and you actually see it, People picketing. People angry. Why? They don't know their right hand from their left. You say, God, show them mercy. Show them mercy. Show them compassion. Show them your loving kindness. You desire none to perish, and I don't either. I believe, church, if we did that, church, people will be changed. I say that in faith and in expectancy instead of they could be. But may they be. When we, the church, get it through our heads and most importantly through our hearts that we ourselves have received the mercy and compassion and immeasurable gift of God. And I want them to have that. I want them to know the gift of God's compassion and mercy. No one is too far. Is anyone suffering, not knowing their right hand from their left, like those sailors in a condition that is only that way because, church, we have not given the word of the Lord. 
Are we, the church, the cause in any way of this present condition? I say, without question, yes. But we're not too far. We, the church, can repent, can turn, can change. We ourselves, church, can be overthrown and relieved. A reprieve from the hand of the Lord. No more rebellion. No more hiding from His presence. No more basking in the shade, the sail, T-S-E-L. Look into that word. The shade of the Almighty that has been extended to us in the mercy of God. While we demand judgment on everybody else, friend, it's not right. It's not. May we not hold back from delivering the word of the Lord that could bring people life. I've, I've been redundant with this and now I'm absolutely done. If the arm of the Lord is too short for those people on your news program or on your website or whatever's in your imagination, then friends, His arm is too short for you. If His arm is too short for your children or for these other people that you see on the news, if, if His arm is too short for them, it's too short for your children. If there's no hope for any other man that we deem vile and evil, rebellious, idolatrous, there's no hope for us. None. But guess what? Even though the church is all messed up, screwed up, myself included, I'll be first in line. It's not dependent entirely upon us. Just like when Jonah finally eked out the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord turned thousands of people. God will do much with even our little. So friend, today, if you consider yourself in the church, please hear what the book of Jonah is saying. The shadow of the Almighty has been extended to you. What will you do with it? It alone will bring you freedom from your own sin and wickedness and it's the only hope for every other man out there. But there is hope. Right now you've either got death and destruction, doom and gloom, and fascination with like coming vaccines and who's wearing masks and who's not, and billions of people are just fixated on that. Or, huh, who cares, whatever. God's in control. Oh yes and amen, he's in control, but Lord... Lord, help us. There's a million miles in between those two extremes. So, friend, let's find that place. What is the Spirit saying right now, in this hour? So many people fascinated with, like, prophecy and end times. And, man, are we in the tribulation? What about now? What about today? What about right now what the Spirit is saying? I believe is show compassion. Show compassion. So church, here it is. From a flawed vessel, what is the Lord saying in this hour? We need to know. We can know. I believe we can. So with that being said, thank you for listening. For all of you who are going to watch this archive, thank you. Go to pathdesign.com. Like stuff. Share stuff. You know what to do. All these things. Seriously though, consider sharing this video if, if you pray, you seek the Lord, and you feel like somewhere in you, you know what? Ouch. <laughs> we need correction. I need the rod of my father. 
and the church could surely use a good dose of the woodshed right here, right now in 2020. I'm so sure of that. It's okay. He corrects those he loves. I want to be one he loves, so I'm willing for the correction because you know what? I know it's needed. Church, it's needed. So let's take the correction. Let's learn. Let's turn. Let's be overthrown ourselves. Why? So that we ourselves can put on the mind of Christ and be spirit-led men who are pouring out the compassion, the compassion of Yahweh without measure. He's good. He's kind. He's all these things that we don't even have YouTube space to record. But he's desiring mercy. And he's going to show mercy on whom he wants. I want to side with it being him and him and him and her and her and him. Because he knows I don't know. I want to be one who proclaims the mercy and compassion of my awesome Father. So thank you for watching. Go to pathdesign.com. Do all these things. Send us an email, won't you? Let us know where you're listening. Um, pathdesignpodcast um, at gmail.com is the way to do it. Thank you for watching. Have a great day. Be blessed in the name of Yeshua. Amen.